Good morning. Uh, good to have everybody here today on a beautiful Father's Day. By the way, happy Father's Day to all to whom that applies. And uh, those of us who um, are dads multiple times over and granddads even, uh, I'm getting those texts from my kids coming in. I mean, a happy Father's Day. I hope that you get a chance to spend some time with your gang. Good to have you with us today. One thing I did want to mention, last Sunday I, I shared with you that we had retired the debt. We had gotten all the money needed to pay that off and that I would get back to you. So on July the 9th, that's a Sunday afternoon, uh, we're going to be having um, kind of a get-together uh, here and some music and burning the note and uh, just some great time together. Some food, of course, so we hope that you'll, um, you'll come along and join us in that. Uh, that's a big, big uh, step for our church. Uh, you know, a few years ago, uh, we chose to um, build out in the country. We, we bought some land and built a home out there. And it sets up on a hill, and let's just say uh, it's like five acres, but it's not really a farm, I don't think uh, we call it that. But really, the only thing that we grow really, really well are rocks. Uh, we have a rock farm, and it seems like all the time they just keep coming up for some reason surfacing. I don't know why, uh, but we got a lot of rocks. We got a lot of loose rocks, but there are also several ledges of rock that ran through it. And when we were building, and they were uh, digging the basement, the excavator kept encountering these different ledges of rock. And every day it was a conversation going, you know, if we hit a really uh, deep ledge of rock, we may have to bring in a big equipment, a whole ram or something to, uh, you know, to break that up. And that would have raised the cost. And if you know me, I'm cheap. So every day I was praying, you know, Lord, please don't send the big rocks. All right. Finally, one day he came to a ledge of rock uh, that was different than all the others. He kept breaking through it, but he came to this one ledge. And it was uh, totally different. It was several feet deep. And he said, this is where we must stop. And fortunately for us, though, it was just at the right spot uh, because uh, we, that's the place we wanted to put our footers. And so we built our house on a solid rock foundation. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And uh, Jesus spoke of that as well. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus told this parable, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. You know, we're going to talk today a little bit about, uh, from First Peter, where Peter is telling us how to live in difficult times. Times when storms are surely going to come. Jesus called them storms, the storms of life. They might be a crisis in health. It might be relational. It might be financial. It might be your job. Any number of places and areas that we can have a storm, it's going to come into our life eventually. And we all know people who have built their homes or their lives on unstable foundations. And the evidence is obvious whenever those storms of life came. As I was reading about what Peter's going to write, we're going to study today, I thought to myself, no doubt Peter recalled the words of Jesus that we just read in Matthew chapter 7. When he wrote these words, no doubt he thought back, probably 30 years previously, when Jesus had told this story about the man and the, the strong foundation of the weak foundation because he kind of jumps onto that and, and talks about that a little bit in our scripture. And you know, Peter had been through some storms in his life, the storm of feeling like Jesus was gone, the storms that he was currently experiencing under persecution. Eventually, he would be put to death. So he had the storms in his life, lots of them. And, uh, and he ended the first chapter of, the, of this book, we, start, we read last week, 
Uh, he, he said this, for all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So Peter says, the word of the Lord is the only thing that endures. People come and go like flowers and, and grass, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And then he jumped into chapter two, which is where we're at today. And he kind of builds on that. He says, therefore, which means because of these things, Rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. You know, one of the building blocks of your life, obviously, is what you take into your body, your food. Not only will your physical body reflect the kind of food you're eating, the quality and the amount of food, obviously, but your spiritual body is also going to reveal your eating habits, too, spiritually, and it will show what you feed on. You know, we, we probably all heard the saying that garbage in, garbage out. And then that's true physically, but even maybe even more so spiritually, when we think about the things that go into our mind and our heart, the things we watch and the things we read and the people that we're around and what we're absorbing, all those things, garbage, if it's garbage, it goes in, it all turns around and eventually comes back out in our language and our actions and our thought life. And so Peter's going to drill, uh, deal with a few of those thought issues that translate into actions and words here. He gives a list of things that will erode and weaken your spiritual house. Some, a real quick list of things. And because he calls them out and mentions them, we're going to take a few moments and just glance at what some of these things are. But he says, get rid of these things in your life. If you, these things sound familiar. The first one is malice. And we don't use that word a lot, but basic malice is your feelings for other people. Uh, how you feel toward them. If something good happens to them, you feel bad. When something bad happens to them, you feel good. You have this malice in your heart, just kind of the resentment against that person. Uh, another word, another uh, problem is deceit. Now, this is dishonesty and deception, the intent to deliberately mislead someone. So you lie to them or mistruths or little white lies, we call them, intentionally to mislead them. It's deceitful. And then he talked about hypocrisy. And a few weeks ago, we, we talked about hypocrisy, how that in that day they would have uh, actors who would wear a mask and they would uh, play a role of some sort. And for a believer, this is uh, like living a double life. It's on Sunday morning, you're one person, or when you're around Christians, you're one person, and you're a whole other person when you're around the world or throughout your dealings throughout the week. Kind of who you are depends on who you're with. Uh, another one is envy. Uh, this is jealousy or coveting uh, versus contentment. Um, you know, I think today we live in a world where coveting and, and envy are, are really common in our world because, for one reason, because of social media. You know, when you look on someone's Facebook account or their Instagram or whatever, and you see the snapshots of a incredible life, travel, food, family, accomplishments, possessions, and, uh, and you think, man, I wish I had their life because they have a perfect life. But what you're seeing are only the snapshots of people that they want you to see. You never see their failures, their mistakes, you know, their, uh, their, their problems and sadnesses. So we need to make sure that we don't covet or envy the life of another person just because their life looks so good. That's wrong, the Bible says. Another is slander. Slander is I look, I feel like I look good when you look bad, and so I'm gonna talk you down, I'm gonna criticize you in every way. And, and Peter just says those are all 
characteristics that the world feeds us, that we hear and see every day. And if any of those things resonate in your life or a part of your life, then you're spiritually unhealthy. And the, the result or the response need to be repent. And what Peter's saying is that's a horrible diet to feed your spiritual life. That there is a better diet, the word of God. Remember, the word of God endures forever. And that all these negative things come from our exposure to the world, from media, from culture, the pagan world around us, our own sin nature. We have enough sin inside of us that, that we don't have to invent other ways. But all of these things come bombard us, and we can't escape some of those things. But we can counteract those things by choosing to take in God's word on a regular basis. And you know what? He, he talks about here an analogy. The Bible has a great analogy for our spiritual lives and body. The Bible says that when we give our life to Christ and we are baptism, we, we picture it in baptism, being born again, that we are under the water, we died up to our old self, we're raised up out of the water, we're a brand new person. And the Bible calls us spiritually babies then, spiritual babies. And we know the, the, the problem is that a lot of people don't recognize that a baby, a spiritual baby has to be nourished and fed, that we have to feed ourselves. That's why it's so disturbing sometimes when, you know, we love baptisms, but it's always frustrating when people feel like that's all there is, that that's the end result. Really, it's the beginning because suddenly we're a baby. And there are some people who never grow up spiritually. They're stunted all their spiritual life because they don't nourish themselves on God's word. And the Bible says that many are spiritually ill and some even die from spiritual malnutrition. So it's important that we kind of get the full analogy of being born again, that we're starting this walk with Christ. And like a physical body, we have to take something into our body. We start with simple food, simple spiritual food, what the Bible calls the milk of the word. So uh, that's the analogy that Peter uses here. You know, we have a brand new grandson and we know that babies start with easily digestible food. And evidently, the easiest thing to digest must be milk because that's what a baby starts, right? And, uh, and then we're told, or used to be anyway, that the next thing would be cereals because cereals are simple. And the next thing would be fruits and vegetables. And last of all, you add meats somewhere months down the road from your, your child's birth. But the, but the point is obvious. As they mature, they're able to handle more challenging foods and more nourishing foods as well, but, but they're challenging foods to digest. And so when Peter talks about the milk of the word, that's a great question. What is the milk of the word? What is that? If we're supposed to be taking that in, what is that? Well, in a nutshell, milk is our understanding of righteousness through Jesus Christ. And it's the first principles of God. Generally speaking, it's any teaching that came into play because of the fall of mankind and that is sin in our world. But even more specifically, it's found in Hebrews chapter 5, 12 to 13, and the first couple of verses of chapter 6. Here's what it tells us the milk of the word in a nutshell basically is. First of all, understanding the righteousness by faith through Jesus Christ, that we are saved by faith through the grace of God, not by our good works, but we are saved by faith. It is the repentance of our sin that our response needs to be repentance, it is having faith toward God, not only coming into Christ, but growing in Christ. The writer also says it's a doctrine of baptism, understanding what baptism is, the burial and being raised again a new life. It's a laying on of hands to accomplish a person for specific ministry. In other words, recognizing that we're all gifted in different ways, that God has a purpose for our life. 
It's the resurrection of the dead that we're going to die and come back to life again someday. And it's eternal judgment. So the Bible actually tells us what milk is. So those are topics that we ought to understand and grasp. And uh, they're kind of the basics of the Christian life. But once you understand these things, then the Bible says, okay, now that you have, uh, you know, understood the milk of the word and received that, now it's time to proceed on to the more meatier things. And the Bible tells us what the meat of the word is, obedience to the will of God, which is a lifetime pursuit. We're always discovering more about God's will for our life. It's also the deeper truth of God in the scripture. As we begin to understand the characteristics of God and the, the character, the person of God and the things of the spirit, that's enough for us to chew on for a lifetime. That's the meat of the word. And, uh, and so we need to be working to understand God and studying to understand God a little bit better. And we're told that we're to crave these things, that we are to have a craving for them. Now, I was thinking about that and I thought, what is it that makes us crave something? Is it just because that's good, because we like it? Or is there something beyond, crave, beyond that? And I understood, discovered that cravings are psychological. It's what we tell ourselves that we want and need. So if you are really pursuing a healthy diet, you tell yourself, this is what I want, this is what I need, and soon you start to actually crave those things, you want those things. And then you develop maybe an addiction to it. And obviously, it can be addiction to something good or it can be something bad. We can crave something that's not good for us or we can crave what is really healthy for us. And, uh, and so we kind of tell ourselves that. You know, right now, I'm kind of uh, addicted. I mean, not at this moment, but at this point in life, uh, I'm kind of addicted to butter pecan ice cream. I don't know why. I mean, I've always kind of liked it, but now I've got to have like a little waffle cone of it at night. You know, so I've told myself I've got to have that. Well, you're laughing. You're at it right there too, babe. So, uh, yeah, you know. So... I know, but they need to know. It's an example. All right, at any rate. So anyway, some of us crave healthy food. I'm told there are people who crave like carrots and celery and stuff like that. And that's wonderful. That's much better than butter, cream, uh, butter pecan ice cream, I'm sure. But, but you know, the point is that we all determine what we're going to crave, right? It's not just what we like at the moment. And I would say that because some people have a hard time reading the Bible and they say, I don't get anything out of it. But here's the point. We need to crave that. We need to determine in our mind, this is what I want. This is what I need. I'm going to pursue that until it becomes a craving. And that's what we need to long for. When you feed yourself on the word of God, you get positive results. I read a story about a study of 400,000 people and how reading the Bible impacted them. Here's what they said. They said, you know, it's great to read the Bible one, two, even three days a week, but the maximum impact of reading the Bible comes of reading at least four days a week, which is kind of a majority when you think about it, four out of seven days a week. And uh, so when you read the Bible a majority of days, that's when you get the maximum impact of the word. And they said that people who do that have 407%, they're more likely, 407% more likely to, to memorize scripture because you're reading it, you're hearing it repetitiously. So you memorize that. 228% more likely to share their faith because it's a daily reminder almost of this, this importance of that to them and to others. 59% uh, less likely to view porn and 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. 
So if any of those things are challenges to you or any other issue, the best habit you can have is to read your Bible every day. And that's what Peter says, crave the sincere milk of the word. Long to bring it into your life and make it a habit and then it will be a habit for life. And then Peter approaches this whole thing from a more general angle, not just what you're taking into your life, but also what you're building your life on. And this is what I was referring to a few moments ago about Jesus' parable. He says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious stone, cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, But to those who do not believe, this stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. So, you know, when we read about Jesus in the Bible, we know that Jesus, this says, was a carpenter. And uh, we think about building with lumber and materials like that. But in that day, the primary building uh, material was stone. They didn't have a lot of big trees, so they didn't have a lot of lumber. And, but they would build a house out of stone. And they didn't pour a footer like we do today. I don't think they were quite that advanced in their building. But the foundation would be carefully laid out of stone. And it would be the most important part of the building, the foundation, but the most important part of the foundation was the cornerstone. And so they would make sure that they chose a stone that was square and level and flat, and they would lay it in the direction to to shape the house they wanted it to face. And so it was so important. And in in a building a house, the foundation was important because it would determine the whole rest of the building. If the the cornerstone even, or the, the foundation was off, uh, it would, it would uh, impact the entire house. You would never be able to be level or plumb or square or whatever, whatever you were going for. And so that's what Peter is saying. He, he says you have to have a good, stable, firm, strong foundation. And then you can build a strong home. And you know what? That's true not just in building a structure, but it's true in every area, in your marriage. It's true in your family, in a nation, in a church, everywhere. And what Peter's telling us is that Jesus is the cornerstone of a stable life. He is the cornerstone of a stable life. He was and is rejected by many, but Peter says God has chosen him to be the cornerstone of his kingdom. That God chose Jesus to come down here and to be the one who would be the foundation of his church, the kingdom of God. And he also tells us that Jesus is either going to be your cornerstone or you are going to struggle, struggle and stumble over him. Because here's the point, Jesus is intentionally controversial. He is not gonna just be a part of your life. It is all or nothing. You either accept him fully or you reject him. And Jesus said that. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, that's a strong, exclusive statement I think that's why a lot of people hate Christians because we just say we don't believe there's many ways to God. We know there's only one way. It's exclusive. It was intended to be that way. But the real question is, will you build your life on him or not? That's the bottom line that every one of us have to answer. And that question alone will determine the strength of your life and the future of your eternity. Have you built your life on Jesus and are you using him as a foundation? 
If you are not, then one day, I promise you, your life will collapse. That's what Jesus said. Peter's saying the same thing here. Ultimately, when you stand before, the God, before God, this will be the only thing that matters. The only question that will need to be asked at that point. It doesn't matter how successful you've been and everything else. This one decision will determine your eternal future. But also, presently, whatever you built on Jesus will determine its strength. Again, your marriage built on Jesus will be strong. Your parenting, your finance, however you view life, your work relationships, interaction with people, all those things have to be built on Jesus. You have to start with him as a cornerstone and then you build his way, then what you build will last for generations. Not just your life, but you will impart that to your children, to other people around you, the people you care about, and it will be a legacy that you leave behind. And legacy is so important. You know, today is Father's Day. And so let me just say this, dads, you need to build your marriage and your family on Jesus. We need more men who are willing and committed to building on Jesus. Now, you know, sometimes building a house correctly is difficult and it may not be how a person wants to build. It's the hard work you have to put in. But one day you'll be glad that you didn't or you will certainly regret that you didn't. And so I would challenge you, dads, if you haven't even done so, to start a Christian legacy. Start a Christian legacy. You say, well, we've been at it a long time and a lot of things have happened. You know what? It's okay. It's never too late to start. Or maybe it's never too late to kind of break down some things and humble yourself and rebuild on the right foundation. And you're never going to get it perfect. Nobody is, but that's okay because Jesus has a lot of grace and if you build on Jesus, you're going to have a family that will not only be graceful, but show grace to one another as well. But above everything, dads, we have to lead in that. You know, our culture, I believe, is struggling with a crisis of fatherhood, a real crisis of fatherhood. Even fathers that are sometimes in the home are not really present. They're not leading their family. They're not taking the initiative spiritually, or they're not building on Jesus. So as a challenge to us, myself included, I want to share with you about four things that a father can give to their family that nobody else can that will help them build a, tough, a strong foundation. And here, here's the first one, model tough but tender love. You know, a lot of young men that we're seeing today are, are basically feminized or they're weak because they don't have a good role model. They don't have a good strong man in their life. And so I would encourage you to, to, to show them the tough but tender side. Uh, you know, wrestle with your, your kid. You know, you be rough, but don't body slam them or something like that. You know, but, but be, uh, be, 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 be aggressive a little bit with your, your sons especially. And I knew that, that my son was old enough that we shouldn't wrestle anymore when he, when he came in and did a pile driver, or not a pile driver, but a body slam on me and kind of cracked some ribs. And I thought, you know, maybe we need to arm wrestle going forward here a little bit. You know, we can be rough, but don't, don't hurt anybody, all right? Um, Jordan Peterson, I don't know if you read any of his stuff, but he's got some great stuff about men. He said, a harmless man is not a good man. A good man is a very dangerous man who has that under voluntary control, meaning that he has the ability to be dangerous and yet voluntarily and consciously decides not to be dangerous or probably more accurately use that dangerous skill set that he has in a controlled environment in the right situation when it's appropriate. You know, man, we need to be a little dangerous, you know, not hurt anyone, but, but have that under control because men can and should be tough but tender. 
And look at Jesus. You know, a lot of people look at Jesus and they say, oh, he was meek and mild. But you know what? Jesus had strength and he was a dangerous man. He put together a, uh, a group of cords and ran a whole crowd of money changers out of the temple. That was a little dangerous when he kind of came out. And look at it when Jesus was being crucified. He endured torture that would have killed and did kill other strong men. But Jesus endured that all the way to the cross. So he was tough, but he was tender. A second thing you can give is balance between taking risk and being safe. You know, we can't wrap our kids up in bubble wrap and protect them from everything. Honestly, our kids, they need to fail sometimes and they need to fall so that they can learn not to make some mistakes, but they have to learn to take risks too sometimes. And uh, you can see the difference between men and women and how they treat their kids uh, in certain situations. I was thinking about swimming. I'm told, my dad always told me that in his day, the fathers would take their kids out and throw them into the creek or lake or something, and, and they would swim to shore, and that's how they learned how to swim. Now, my dad did not do that, thankfully for me. I was always afraid he might try that, but he didn't, he didn't do that. But the truth is, most fathers are the ones most likely to send their child out and say, here, figure it out. Say, you know, we can't baby them all their life. They got to go out there and they got to figure out life. Moms are more likely to say, well, be careful while you're doing that. You know, dads send them out. Mothers are always ready to bring them back in and everything. Fathers challenge and mothers encourage. And kids need both of those things. So they have to have that balance. Thirdly, protect them from harm. Protect them from harm. Parents, we got to make sure our kids are protected. And that's by being present. Kids with present dads are less likely to be harmed or to have bad friends because we're watching over them. Hopefully, we're keeping our eyes on them. One time I told my son, you will never be with that young man again, ever. Uh, I'm not saying it's all him. It's all him and it's you together. You don't make a good mix. And uh, he said, Daddy goes to our church. I'm like, eh, doesn't matter. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge. The reality is sometimes we have to protect our kids. Do not be afraid to stand up for your child. And sometimes stand up to your child. I think that's a crisis. We have men who are afraid to stand up to their children and they suffer because of it. But here's the thing. When you do that, you may be fighting for their lives. Never forget that. Stand up, man up to your kids, protect them from harm. That means know the danger around them, even if it's in a school setting that you ought to know what's being taught. And then fourthly, provide discipline and establish order. Discipline and order. Boys who are raised without their fathers are two to three times more likely to go to prison. Girls who are raised without their father in the home are five times more likely to be teen mothers. Depression goes down with the presence of a father in the home and his involvement with his children. If we had more Christian dads, we would need less cops, less prisons, less government, fewer laws, fewer social problems. Most of our problems today are family problems, and most family problems are father problems. So guys, we need to step up. And if we do that, we're gonna, we're, if we go first and lead, we're going to be blessed. Our wife will be blessed. Our children will be blessed. The church, the culture, our world will be blessed. And that's what Peter tells us, that building on Jesus is for everyone, and some parents, men especially, need to lead. The most successful families are the ones with a Christian mother and father in the home who are all committed to leaving Jesus and making him, or letting Jesus be the cornerstone of their life and their marriage and their home. 
Well, the next few verses of chapter two are, are primarily words of encouragement. I want you to kind of listen as we read through these words. Peter says, but you are a chosen people. You may, you may be slighted by the world, but you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. If you remember when I began this study, I said the reason for the writing of this book was that Peter wanted to encourage the people. He wants to encourage us. And we need to hear words like this about who we are. Just like we as parents speak positive words into our children, you're good at that. You're talented. I love you. We say those things. God is saying to you, you are special. You're a special people. You know, in Bible times, the priests were the one who got to be in the presence of God. They were the ones who were able to see firsthand the power of God. And then they interceded for the people. And Peter said, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You know, the Bible teaches us the priesthood of all believers. It's not a clergy position. It's not a hierarchy, a role, an office. It is the fact that every one of us are priests. And that means we get to be in God's presence. That means we see his power firsthand. That means we have responsibility to, to intercede for other people. And he says, you are a holy nation. You are God's special possession. You ought to know who you are and live up to that. And we've been called out of darkness into light, our past is gone, we are forgiven, we're given mercy and grace. So Peter said, be encouraged, you have a glorious future. But also, because you are so blessed and so privileged, you need to be sure and live up to what you've been blessed with. Don't take these advantages and, and waste them. Don't blow them, you know, use them for their maximum value and use them for his glory. And make sure that we live up to that which we have experienced and been given. You know, although we're still in exile, we talked about that last week, we're foreigners here, we need to make sure that we don't adopt, adopt and adapt to the culture around us. In fact, Peter says the way that we will influence the culture is not just by what we say, but maybe more importantly, to live good, pure lives so that even our critics, even the people who want to be skeptical of us, who want to criticize us and want to find something wrong, those people will be impressed. And they'll say, you know, I don't like you, but I, but I got to admit, you got something good. And I want that for my life. They'll want to be a part of God's family as well. And, you know, just be encouraged. Be encouraged and keep being faithful to what you've been called to. You know, the reality that God loves every one of us, no matter what we have done, that you've never done anything that would put you too far from God that you couldn't come back. And God loves you to the place that he will forgive as his child whatever you do and restore you when you come confessing and, and repenting and bringing that to God. And remember that the love of God, like the word of God, endures forever. And in, in closing, let me just say that you need your life to be built on the rock, on Jesus. If you built, have, have made that decision to follow Jesus, then I would encourage you to progress through the milk of the word, not just know the basics about God, but crave the meatier things of the word, obedience to God and finding the will of God for your life. And if you've never done that, if you've never given your life to Christ, then today is a great day to do that, to begin that walk with him and begin that legacy of life 
I'm gonna be up here, I'll be available. I'd love to talk to you if you wanna have a conversation, you wanna talk about your next step, or if you wanna have someone to pray with you, we'd love to do that this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word, Lord. God, thank you for this book that, that Peter wrote so many years ago that speaks life and truth to us today. Father, thank you that we have the opportunity to be uh, what he called us, these, uh, this holy nation, a God's special possession, a holy priesthood. And Lord, may we live up to that which we've been given. Father, I pray that there, everyone here this morning knows you and that God's in a growing relationship with you, Lord. And when the storm of life comes, the storms, the, the many storms or the great storm, Lord, that God, we would be prepared because our lives are built on a firm foundation of Jesus. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.